Hopkins CMA podcast, a podcast giving you an insight to what happens behind the acronym GHCMA. Hi, I'm Liz Meacham. In this series, we're going to take a look at what a catchment management authority does, a few of the projects the organisation is delivering on the ground, we'll meet some of the passionate people delivering those projects, and hopefully along the way, give you an insight to how we are protecting and enhancing the land, the waterways and the biodiversity of the Glenelg Hopkins region of southwest Victoria. In today's podcast, we get some sand between our toes and talk to Jared, the man with the job of trying to manage the competing needs of our environment where the river meets the sea. It means he gets to spend a lot of time outdoors in some pretty spectacular environments, learn from traditional owners, help landholders and work with community and school groups. But he also has the very challenging role of assessing naturally closing river systems, which at times can mean trying to find a balance between what the environment needs, what the community wants and has become used to, and what one of the most powerful oceans in the world will actually allow him to do. Also, in this podcast, this host learns the value of putting her phone on silent. My apologies for the interruption. Seems like it might be a costly one. We're sitting down on the banks of the Hopkins River, and I'm with... The CMA's Jared Obbs. Hi, Jared. Hi, Liz. How are you? Good. Now, you're at the CMA, but you're on the beach. What do you do at the CMA? Um, my role um, is the Coastal Works um, coordinator. So I basically coordinate Coastal Works, which involves estuary management and sort of riverbank estuary restoration works on our sort of coastal estuarine space. So it's... Um, as you said, we're in Warrnambool now. Um, our coastal area goes from sort of the other side of slightly east of Warrnambool across the South Oz border at Nelson. Um, 220 k's of coastline and, and eight estuaries. So my role is to I guess, manage river health and estuary health um, in that region. Perfect. So you've got a few inland rivers and a few coastal rivers. Do you prefer the coast or the inland? Oh, that's a tricky question. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to answer that. I, look, I grew up inland. I grew up in country town called Japarit, far inland, um, but now I live and work and breathe in Warrnambool and, and do love it down here on the coast, so I'll both have their strengths, but I'll, I'm pretty happy where I am now, yeah. Now, coastal estuaries, Jared, where the rivers meet the sea, they're a fairly challenging environment that you have to deal with, aren't they? Yeah, they can be. Yeah, absolutely can be. Um, they're very dynamic um, in the sense that there's a lot of different factors influencing I guess what they look like, um, particularly the seasons, so the rain, the floods, droughts, uh, and of course the Southern Ocean, which you know, we are on a well, one of the most powerful oceans in, in the world here, really. So um, the, the winds, the swells, the tides, um, combined with what comes down the river, it does make for a very complex and very dynamic area. Um, and yes, sometimes challenging, but also you know, very, very interesting too. So. And some of your challenges are that it's also wonderful to live on the coast. And so along with environmental management, you have some community management to deal with as well. The rivers come up and down. They naturally open and close. There's people living beside them. Tell us a bit about your greatest challenge with estuaries opening and closing. Yeah, probably the greatest challenge or greatest um, management um, 
I guess, work that we put into is the fact that, I guess, this river, the Hopkins, and like six other rivers or estuaries in our region, they, they classify as intermittently closed. So basically means that they close seasonally and not always, not every year, um, and not always at the same time of year. But whether an estuary is open or closed depends a lot on the season. So whether it's raining, if it's raining, the rivers are generally flowing and the estuary is generally open. Whereas the summer months, um, particularly late summer, like the Hopkins is open now at the moment, even though we're sitting here at the start of February, which is quite unseasonal. Generally, as um, the rain stops, the rivers stop flowing, the, the ocean will basically have more power than the rivers and, and it will close the estuary. So, yeah, we have six estuaries in the region. We have the Glenelg, um, the Merai, Yambuck Lake, Fitzroy, Surrey and Glenelg. Those, those estuaries are classified as, as intermittently closed. And it's... Uh, look, look, some people still may not be aware of that, and that's fine. I know when I first brought my folks down here to show them the Hopkins, and my, the Hopkins was closed at the time, and Mum thought, oh, geez, Jared, you're not doing your job properly. But um, it's definitely not the case. These systems do close. They have closed naturally for thousands of years. And, and I guess what's really important to remember is that everything that lives here from an ecological perspective, and I mean the birds, the plants, particularly the fish, um, they have all evolved to this opening-closing cycle. So it's not a bad thing. It's fundamentally critical that it does close at certain times, particularly, say, um, like black brim. It's one of the main angling species in, in this part of the world, which is extremely important. Um, their, their whole spawning cycle revolves around generally a closed system and the formation of what's called a salt wedge um, to provide the right conditions for, for, for basically spawning. So without that closure, things like the iconic black brim would not be in the same numbers as they are here. So they do close, it's very important, but... The other point you mentioned is that people love living on the coast. They um, do. So you can't just walk out with an excavator and a shovel and open it, can you? Because that can have some fairly dire consequences when it's meant to be closed. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So there's probably a few components there. Um, well, I guess firstly, you can't legally go and dig a river open without a permit. Um, basically, there's, there's statutory law that will fine you or put you in jail if you do that and get caught illegally. But um, I guess more importantly, really from my perspective, it's about maintaining the health of the estuary. So generally speaking, um, when the rivers aren't running, the estuaries are closed. Um, but at that same time, it's extremely dangerous to an open estuary if you don't have a river running into if you don't have stream flows coming into it it's a bit of a, a bit like a bathtub effect i guess you know if you um pull the plug out of the bath and and, and don't have water coming back into it or your your, your bath toys are going to float and be stranded and that's sort of what can happen um, with an estuary strandings can happen but you can also have a loss of really important and critical um water quality conditions such as well, oxygen um, dissolved oxygen that, that fish breathe that can all escape very quickly if, if, it, if it's not done at the right time or if it's opened at the wrong time in more particular. Um, outside of a flow period can be extremely dangerous and things such as you know, mass fish strandings or mass fish deaths can occur. Um, and I guess we use the word fish deaths, but it's, it's actually not specific. It's, it's, it's everything that lives in the water. Um, you know, your crabs, your, your, your shrimp, your, your eels, all your different fish species. And it's not specific about age classes either. It can be everything from your juvenile fish to 30-year-old to brim can, can die in one single event if an estuary is opened at the wrong time. So the Glenelg Hopkins CMA does open estuaries periodically. 
How do you go about assessing that when that needs to happen? Yeah, look, look I spend a lot of time on that. Um, it's, that's one of the, the main roles that I'm responsible for. So, like I said, firstly, it's, it's, it's illegal to go and do it without a permit, so we need to get, follow all the, the legal paths to make sure, um, I guess, the three components um, that it needs to be safe, it needs to be appropriate, and it needs to be effective. So there's this state law that we, can, we operate under. There's also um, state policy that we need to follow in terms of the decisions we make. Um, we constantly monitor all of our estuaries in terms of level in particular. Um, it's, as I said, you know, the, the estuaries open and close, and as a result, the water levels fluctuate. They, I guess one of the things I love about estuaries, and that's what you flagged earlier, is that they, they're constantly changing. They're very complex, they're very dynamic. Like, like I luckily only live 800 metres away from the Hopkins here. I come down here most days, and you can come down here every day of the year, and it's going to be different. Um, in some shape, sense, or form, it will be different. And estuaries move, and they always have moved. And they, they move from both. I guess up and down the water levels, but also in and out, and, that, and that's sort of what an estuary needs to do. So we, we need to see, I guess, where the estuary is at in terms of the time of the year, what water's coming into the estuary, what the water quality profile is looking like, and that when I say water quality profile, like we we sample the depth in different spots all through the estuary to sort of see what the salt layers are doing, what the oxygen oxygen's doing, uh, what um, the temperature is doing. Uh, and it needs to be safe from an ecological perspective for us to open an estuary. So it's not a standard management approach. Uh, estuaries close, they need to be closed for a certain amount of time, um, but prolonged closure or too high water levels can be very problematic and that's when we need to then, I guess, swing into gear if it's safe, if it's appropriate and if it's effective. So I guess from an appropriate sense, that's that really comes into, I guess, the time of the year. Um, is it appropriate from flows, um, also from that social economic perspective um, are people using the, the estuary are they being impacted by it and the other thing too is is the the effectiveness um, while it might sound a bit silly it's that's actually pretty hard sometimes to open an estuary um, uh, plenty of time and that's even using machinery it can be really really hard like the southern ocean here uh, particularly during autumn and early winter and that's when estuaries are often closed and when they start they start to open naturally when, the, when your autumn break, rain arrives. Um, you get some huge swells, huge tides, um, big winds. It can be really, really hard to open an estuary. And if you don't have flow coming down it, it, it can close within hours. Uh, and that, that's, you know, that's that's not a lie. That's I've <laughs> experienced that. You know, I've, I've been in this role for nearly 15 years, and it's really hard sometimes to get an estuary open. And for me, if, if it's hard to get it open, then, you know. Uh, that's kind of telling me that the system probably should be closed. So, and nature opening it is always better than an artificial opening. Yeah, look, look, it is, it, it is. I think, and I guess it's there's a few things on that as well. Like it's the whole, I guess, the ethical thing for a start is that you know, look, why, why are we more important than nature? Um, you know, we we need to work with nature, not against it. Nature knows best in so many cases, and you know, I guess it is human nature to some degree to, to try and modify and control things. And, and estuaries and the coastlines. <laughs> two things that we often shouldn't be trying to control we should be trying to work with uh, with what it is and that that's sort of our long-term approach to actually try and work with these water level changes um, and yeah it, it needs to be safe effective and appropriate and the other thing that's really important to mention too if if, if I know the water quality is bad and I know there's not good inflows coming into the system but I still go and open an estuary because you know a, a, my favorite fishing jetties underwater um you know we're liable we're, we're not above the law we're liable against you know legislation to do the right thing for for every 
river user and, and, and whether that be you know uh, human or or animal so um yeah look, look we need to be really diligent in the decisions we make now we might be sitting on the coast here and we've talked about the southern ocean opening and closing the rivers but you go a little bit further upstream what else do you do up the rivers jared yeah so my my other I guess the main component is, is river restoration. Uh, and I guess what, what I mean by that is, is basically trying to look after the riverbanks. Um, weeds are a major issue in a coastal area. Um, we, we, we constantly sort of have weed programs happening to sort of try and improve, I guess, the biodiversity values of the riverbanks. Uh, we do a lot of revegetation works, also for that biodiversity, but also for stability reasons. We work a lot with farmers trying to manage riverbanks in terms of getting stock out of waterways, fencing them out. Revegetating, um, providing alternate, I guess, water components, uh, and that's both on on the estuaries and, and the sort of uh, on the rivers as well, and and also infrastructure improvements. That's something that we've done a lot of in the last ten years, which is it's it's a real win-win for everyone, every river user and the river itself. So, I guess historically, and it's it's probably good to mention with from an estuary perspective that I've flagged a few times there's legislation protecting estuaries. You can't just go and dig them open yourself, but that hasn't always been the case. It's really only the, the laws really haven't been in place since the eighties. So, um, and, and that's probably only been enforced. The CMAs have only been here for roughly twenty years. You know, thirty years ago there wasn't any legislation around that. Um, a lot of estuaries got opened quite frequently. Uh, we now know, as I mentioned, that's very risky, very dangerous, and it's not the approach that that, that needs to be taken. Um, but because they were open. A lot more frequently a lot lower lying land around estuaries was managed differently so a lot of it was subdivided uh, a lot of it had I guess fixed structures such as like paths and roads and, and fixed jetties built probably at lower levels than they should be um, and one of the things that I do and I've done for the last 10 years or so is try and build more adaptive infrastructure that allows the river to move up and down but also allows people to use the rivers and whether it's from a a boating, a fishing, a recreational or a farming perspective, there's, there's options that we have that we constantly work with everyone to try and get that balance between productive land, uh, you know, really enjoyable social space, um, but also a healthy ecosystem. And your work also takes you up in around the Budgebim area, which then brings in not just coastal users and farmers, but also traditional owners as well. So it's a fairly varied role. What are you doing up around the Budgebim area? Yeah, well, that, that's an amazing part of the world. If anyone hasn't seen that area, yeah, Google it, get out there. It's, it's incredible. So the Fitzroy Estuary, so it was one of the six estuaries that I mentioned earlier um, that, that closed in our region. So the, the, I guess the waters that feed the Fitzroy Estuary are the Fitzroy River and Dalet Creek. And particularly along the Dalit Creek system, a lot of that is a lot of, it's from the, uh, the, the Budgebim lava flow, so what was previously known as Mount Eccles. Um, and yeah, just, just not too long ago, just in the previous year, that the whole lava flow area um, was listed in the World Heritage um, status, which is absolutely phenomenal. So it's, it's extremely um, important and culturally rich from the traditional owner perspective, and I've been lucky enough for the last four years to work with the Gudinjamara people to, to help, I guess, roll out a, a range of different river health um, components on, on the sort of the Fitzroy River and Dalit Creek, which then in turn also helped the Fitzroy Estuary. So it's, yeah, I've learned a lot. Um, you know, tr our traditional owners know more about the land than anyone. They've been managing it extremely well 
um, in harmony with nature for thousands and thousands of years. So there's a lot to learn there. I've been able to learn there, a lot of different things there, share that knowledge. And I've also been able to then, I guess, you try and share that knowledge to the community. So um, one of the big highlights that we've actually done for that program is that we, we run sort of tours, so on-country tours with traditional owners. And I think we've done five tours now. Each have been sold out. So we've had over you know 200 people come through and actually learn about um, all things about the land, about settlement, about traditional knowledge, and it's it's been really, really interesting and really rewarding. So, and that's not this my phone. That's not my phone. That's Liz's phone. That's that's, that's a slab of cans, I reckon, isn't it? That is that is a slab of cans. Um, <laughs> so the rivers, the rivers at Budge Bim, the waterways there. You've been doing some revegetation works, or what sort of what sort of works, works yes. have you been doing there? So, um, I said yes. Yeah, so, so four years I've been working in that area. So we we started off by actually going and basically walking or kayaking most of all the riverbanks, um, and actually looking at the threats. So a lot of the work we do on river restoration is looking at the current state, um, what the threats are, and what. The, you know, what the important parts are to protect. So um, we found pretty early on, which you know we had a good understanding of to some degree. But willows, so are a highly invasive plant, um, which are really taking over a lot of the environmental and cultural values in that area. So we've been taking a lot of action on willow management, so weed management. Um, been working with uh, a range of different landholders to get more stock out of the waterways, and yeah, doing a lot of revegetation works. And I know. Um, I guess last year was interesting with COVID restrictions. We couldn't, we couldn't use um, our, our regular means. We often engage school groups, um, community groups, uh, international volunteers to do a lot of work, like revegetation works in particular. We couldn't do that, so most of the plants <laughs> put in myself. Which, you know, <laughs> well, COVID didn't get you in the office; it got you out into the paddock. No, I, I was very lucky that way. But we also worked very closely with uh, with good engineering as well, and that that was great. But um. Yeah, a lot of different um, on-ground works about just controlling weeds and improving biodiversity values and stability and, and I guess the health of the riverbank. And going forward, I guess we hope that we take a lot of the learning over the last sort of 10 or 15 years along the coast and up the estuaries and from the traditional owners and keep putting it into practice. So... Thank you, Jared, for sitting on the beach today and having a chat with us. We've got the seagulls floating around and the waves behind us, So, but we've managed to get this done and see the Hopkins River in its full force. So thank you. No worries at all. No, happy to help. So if you'd like to learn more about our coastal estuary systems, how and why an intermittently closing river mouth does what it does, or you're a landholder keen to see how you can access some funding around fencing off a waterway or installing some other water points, please check out the website ghcma.vic.gov.au. And to find out what else we're up to, you can follow us on social media. We're Glenelg Hopkins CMA on Facebook and GHCMA on Instagram and Twitter. My thanks to Jared for his time today. Jared's projects are funded through a range of sources, but it includes the Australian Government's National Land Care Program and the Victorian Government's Water for Victoria Program. <laughs>